Streaming live from Puerto Rico and Kentucky, this is the Movie Loot, the Oscars episode. Here is one of your hosts for tonight, Carlo. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Jennifer, you look lovely. Chris, my man, thank you, thank you, thank you. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is the third Movie Loot Oscars episode, and we're honored to meet again here to celebrate the best in cinema. For that, please allow me to introduce my guest for the night, Mr. Brian Clarkson. Let's go. The Oscars Loot. Hello, looters. Welcome to the Movie Loot. It is March 2023, and we're hurling towards the Oscars like a ball of fire that leaves an endless mess on its way, much like the ceremony. And to join me in this debacle, I'm really happy to have a great internet friend, Brian Clarkson. I'm so happy to have you here, Brian. Uh, nice to be here. Brian is one of those uh, internet friends that I've known for a good while. How, how long has it been that we've been knowing each other? Um, I, I think it was back maybe when Rotten Tomatoes uh, forums were a thing. Yeah, so it's been a while then because we were we interacted in Rotten Tomatoes forums, then we ended up in Corey, and now we are in movie forums, right? So it's, it's been a while. It definitely has. Yeah. So we've been hanging around, like I said, uh, around multiple film forums through the years, more like bouncing around every time one of these film forums closes, we uh, end up falling or bouncing into another one. So we know each other for a while. And again, I'm happy to finally talk with you face to face. This is the first time, not face to face, but uh, <laughs> chat with you uh, <laughs> in real time. Yeah, this is first time for me as well. Yeah. So I don't know if these are the correct terms. So Brian is a YouTuber and a, a, a Twitcher. Is that how he said? Uh, yeah, that would be accurate. Okay. Brian has a, a YouTube channel called Tickets Please, where he reviews movies that are streaming and in theaters. This is the description of his channel. Will also feature looks at classic films, documentaries, foreign films, and terrible films. <laughs> Uh, is that what you're what you're doing in your YouTube channel, right? Yes, that is exactly what I'm trying to get towards. How many terrible films have you reviewed? Unfortunately, I have not reviewed any <laughs> at the moment, but um, I've seen quite a bit over the years. <laughs> Looking forward to one of those reviews. <laughs> As for Twitch, I I'm an old man, so you're going to have to help me with explaining that one. How, how does Twitch work? I'm still not entirely sure I know how it works. Okay. Basically, you have like a screen recording software like OBS and you do like computer games and that sort of thing over there. Or sometimes if you got the right setup for it, you can do like console games on there and then you do it for various viewers that show up. Okay, so basically you're streaming while you're playing and showing everybody what you're doing in the game and all that, right? Right. Okay, so... And you're trying to entertain at the same time, too. Okay, so not very far from what I thought it would be, so that's okay. I'm not that old then. So how long have you had this channel? How long have you been doing the Twitch thing? Because I've seen you often uh, tweet about your Twitch and what you're doing, so how long have you been doing this? I think I started in the December of 20. 20 it was just like in the middle of the pandemic just trying <laughs> the, to the catalyst for every podcast and every twitch channel yeah <laughs> <laughs> of course it was part of it was also to be able to have the confidence to be able to do interviews uh, and also uh, youtube as well 
Yeah, and I think that's a great way to get you started. And I've been listening to a couple of your of your YouTube videos. Uh, you have a bunch, and maybe that way you can segue into our Oscar stock because you've been putting up a lot of videos on YouTube about the Oscar specifically, which is one of the reasons why I approach you. I mean, you have multiple Oscar watches, you have predictions videos, you have an Oscars home stretch video. Has the Oscars always been something that you look forward to? I wouldn't say that I looked to it for at least a little while when I was younger and that sort of thing. I want to say that maybe I started paying closer attention to it around the point of uh, Billy Crystal started hosting it. Yeah, it was the same with me. I mean, that's probably around the time that I really started watching it. I mean, Billy Crystal was an excellent host and he did a great job. And that's one of the things that kind of kept me coming back for more. Like, I want to see what he comes up now. But in that topic, since we already started talking about hosts, there's been this discussion and it heightened this couple of years with all this issue about host or no host. What do you prefer? Do you prefer like a steady host through all the, the ceremony or do you prefer like people coming in and going out doing the hosting? I would prefer like a single host if they know what they're doing about um, making sure the pacing is um, there and if they're being funny. But yeah. um, it's not an easy thing. I think we've seen multiple people try and fail to do it. So if they can't come up with a good host, then maybe just uh, deal without. It seemed like uh, ceremonies were running a little bit quicker without the hosts, or at least yeah. the first couple of years. I don't have the specific information, but I think they did it like two years, I think. And who has been your favorite host other than Billy Crystal? Let's put Billy Crystal aside, because I think that he's uh, maybe our favorite. Uh, um, honestly, I would probably go with um, Whoopi Goldberg, maybe. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think she did a, a, a good job. You know, one that I always, I kind of like what he did, what he brought to the Oscars, because I thought it was different, uh, was Hugh Jackman. I think that he brought like a different energy, because being a, like a theater guy, I think he brought like a different energy with uh, all the songs and musicals and whatnot. I think that it was something different, and I kind of liked it. But yeah, Whoopi, Whoopi was fine. And I think that one of the ceremonies where there was no host, I think it was one of the, the the first one with all this COVID thing, I think it flowed really well without a host. And what are your thoughts about the length of the show? Because you brought up the length of the show when we were talking about hosts and how the host might help to control the pace of the show. Because this ceremony, it, it tends to go forever. And a lot of people complain about, oh, this is four hours, five hours. It's midnight and we still don't know what is the best picture. Uh, what do you think about that? You know, honestly, I wouldn't mind it being uh, close to three. I mean, ending right around uh, 10 o'clock central time. Just a, a three hour ceremony and everything. But the problem, of course, being you got like 23 different awards going on. Yeah. And you don't want to cut some of them short in order to reach that time length. Which is what they try to do in one of the previous ceremonies where they cut a bunch of awards from the televised ceremony. And a lot of people complain because they cut editing. They cut, I think, the short ones. So a lot of people were complaining, you know, are our awards not prestige enough for the televised ceremony? So it's, it's hard to please everybody. It definitely is. But I think as long as the ceremony is entertaining, I don't mind if it takes like three hours, four hours or whatever, as long as we're having fun, which is the thing with the host and whatnot. I mean, if you have someone that's, like you said, keeping up the pace, I mean, it will go fairly quick. Yeah, I mean, that is very true, actually. I mean, as long as it's being fun and as long as um, it's moving in a decent enough pace, it probably can go longer in three hours. Yeah, and there's this thing with the Oscars where there seems to be like this 
clash between this prestigious ceremony, um, this prestigious award, but they are also, they're trying to like cater to the quote-unquote prestige audience, but also a more mainstream audience to try probably to keep the ratings up because the show doesn't seem to be as relevant as it was, say, 20, 30 years ago or more. Well, I think you have like a lot of different things going on. Like, for example, there's like a lot more options that you can watch now instead of uh, the Oscars. Yeah. For better or worse, there's like some people have kind of tried to politicize the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I think there's always a, let's say, a push and pull to different sides and the political angles. Before we head into this year's Oscars, because I want to dive into this year's Oscars and see what you think about your predictions and what you think. But from the previous years, do you have a, like a favorite Oscar moment? Yes, I, I I mean, there are several that stand out. I'd say probably the one that stands out the most probably would be Jack Balance and his one-armed push-ups. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we brought it up in one of my previous episodes, yeah. It's just stuck with me, I guess, more than anything. <laughs> And you said that you started to watch it around the 90s, Billy Crystal was hosting. How much do you think the ceremony has changed from then to now? It definitely has changed. In some ways, it's better because it looks like you're getting more interesting stories that were being told and more diversity and more diverse stories being told. Yeah. But at the same time, in other ways, it's, um, I don't know, it, <laughs> it just feels like they really hadn't found a good host in a while that could kind of thread the needle between the popular side and the mainstream side and the um i guess the artistic side yeah yeah so let's talk about these year's oscars what were your thoughts when the nominees were announced it was like a mixture of um pleasant surprises and i it felt like some of the snubs were a little bit um definitely surprising okay so let's start with that since we spoke about snubs, a couple of people that shared their talks about what they thought were snubs this year. So my friend Pete from the middle class film class, he said, my biggest snub is Tim Roth for Best Supporting Actor in Resurrection. That is a film I hadn't even heard about. And when he mentioned it, I Googled it and, and it looks pretty good. Have you heard about it? Resurrection? Uh, that's honestly the first I've heard of it as well. So it's yeah. definitely something I will probably have to check out. Tim Roth always, uh, he's usually a very solid actor and very entertaining to watch. Definitely a solid actor. Yeah. Also, the guys from I Seen It Pod, they said Mia Goth not only should have been nominated for Pearl, but she should have won Best Actress for Pearl. I haven't seen Pearl. I saw X, and I thought Mia Goth was pretty good in it, but I've heard a lot of people praise her work in Pearl. Have you seen it? I have not seen X or Pearl, but... Um... I do know that Best Actress was a tough field to crack, to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah. Lots of uh, good performances this year. Yeah, like everybody was saying that it was the hardest category to, to predict. Also, just to close the comments from Pete from the middle class film class, he also said about snubs. He said, Brian and Charles was robbed for a Best Comedy Feel Good Feature nomination, mainly because neither of those categories exist. I think that's that film about the guy that builds like a robot, a tall robot with a, an old guy's head. I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen the trailer for that? Wait, who is the guy again? Brian and Charles is the name of the film. Brian and Charles. Yes. I can't say that I have. Okay, yeah, I've seen a couple of trailers about it. It's about a 
I haven't seen it, so I don't know if what I picked up from the trailer is accurate, but it's, it seems like it's about a guy with some depression or, or middle-aged crisis of sorts and builds like a big robot or something like that uh, and becomes like his best friend and something like that. And apparently he enjoyed that one. Well, I mean, it's definitely good that uh, more than anything, I'm glad to see people actually enjoying films. <laughs> what do you think were like the worst snubs or the most notable for you? Probably the lack of nominations for Viola Davis and Daniel Deadwater for uh, The Woman King and Till. Yeah, I think that's what uh, most people mention as one of the biggest snubs. And it didn't help the whole issue that came around with Andrea uh, Riceboro. This controversy around supposedly the way other uh, fellow actors and, and people campaigned for her. So that was, that was really interesting. I, I think... Um... I, I mean, I'm not necessarily going to complain so much about Riseboro getting nodded, but um, it would be nice to see them actually put their weight into trying to get more diverse field of actresses, like um, maybe Deadwower or um, maybe an actor that didn't really get nominated, but um, is deserving. Have you seen Two Leslie? I have not seen Two Leslie. Okay. I know it's you can rent it, but um, I'm just... Keeping my eyes open, hoping that maybe I'll be able to just stream it sometime. Yeah, okay. I haven't seen it either. Actually, this might be a, a good moment to make a disclaimer for myself. And I'm making an Oscars episode for my podcast, but uh, I have to say that I'm ill-prepared for it because I've barely seen any of the nominees. So uh, you're going to have to carry the weight on this one. So let's see. Let's see what we can come up with your your predictions. Let me see. Maybe we'll get to all of them. Sure. Um, Let's start with editing. I think it will be um, the film that you're going to be hearing a decent amount of um, on Sunday. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I just saw it yesterday. And yeah, the editing is, is very good. Well, yeah, just... I, I plan on trying to watch it sometime this later on this week. Yeah. And I'm kind of hoping that it does a little better than that last film that they did, which was, uh, I think it's Swiss Army Man. Are they the same guys? I didn't know they were the same. Yeah, yeah, they were the same people, and they also, I think they also did a video uh, called Turn Down for What by Lil John. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 they didn't know they were, they were the, the same guys that did Swiss Army Men. I like that film, that film was uh, weird, weirdly good. You, you didn't like Swiss Army Men? I, I felt like it kind of started out interesting, but um, it kind of just uh, lost steam for me about halfway through. <laughs> It was weird, definitely. <laughs> oh, it was it was original though. Yeah, I'll, I'll grant it that. Okay, so let's let's head into another one. Let's see how about best cinematography. Uh, best cinematography. I'm gonna go with All Quiet on the Western Front. That's another one I'm looking forward to see because I'm a huge fan of the original, the 1930s one. It's one of my favorite war films. So when I saw there was like a remake, I said, "What for?" I mean, the original is pretty good, but then it started like. It got nominated, and then it started like gaining momentum, and then everybody was like praising it. Everybody was seeing it, and, and I thought, you know, maybe maybe I should give this a shot, but I couldn't get to it. Yeah, it's definitely something I'm going to have to try to catch at some point as well, because I, I guess sometimes I can get down with a good war film like Saving Private Ryan or um, uh, Dunkirk. Yeah, I haven't seen Dunkirk yet. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to it, but I haven't seen it yet. It definitely is worth checking out. I, I kind of soured up a bit on my Christopher Nolan. <laughs> I haven't seen, uh, I haven't seen any, of, 
yeah, I haven't seen any of his last films. I haven't seen Dunkirk. I haven't seen Tenet. Which one was before Dunkirk? Interstellar, maybe? Ah, uh, yeah. I saw Interstellar and I didn't like it. Ah. <laughs> uh, I know I'm alone. Well, I wasn't a big fan of Interstellar either. <laughs> it was okay, I guess. Let's see. Best visual effects. Uh, visual effects, I think this is going to be one you could probably take to the bank. And that would be Avatar The Way of Water. Yeah, I think that's, uh, like I said, uh, take it to the bank. I haven't seen it, but I've heard that it's as impressive or maybe even more than the first one. So I'm pretty sure that it's going to work with that. If anything, maybe Top Gun Maverick can get that one. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I think Top Gun Maverick's got a chance at some stuff, but I, I kind of think visual effects, it's going to have it's yeah. been avatars the whole way, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so let's let's go with best original song. Which one do you think is going to win? Best original song? I mean, I, I like to think it's going to be "Not Too, Not Too" by Triple R. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that one. Right. I just I just saw that on um, I just saw the video on YouTube, and it's like I, I honestly just can't see how it couldn't win. Everybody's talking about it. I haven't seen it yet, but I've seen little clips from the song and from the film, and I, I definitely want to see it, and it looks like a lot of fun. And I've seen a lot of people looking forward to the performance. I, I, I think they're going to perform it on the ceremony, but I've seen a lot of people looking forward to that. Well, from what I've heard, they definitely are going to perform there, so that's going to definitely be a highlight, I think. Yeah. <laughs> How about original score, keeping it within music? All right. Uh, original score, I think I went with all quite on the western front as well okay this is volker Bertelmann. since we're on that topic we cover song we cover score how about sound best sound yeah this one's gonna be tricky but i think at the end of the day i went with the uh, top gun maverick yeah i was thinking the same thing yeah that's one of the things that a lot of people say that watching in cinemas the, the sound and everything having to do with the way you feel like you're in the planes it's very very good so yeah Okay, I'm going to talk about this one because this is actually one of the categories that I saw most of the of the nominees. And it's the best animated short film. And I've seen all but one. So I want to see your thoughts first. Which one do you think is going to win? Okay, I, I think it's the one that uh, not only got uh, BAFTA, but also got, uh, like, uh, trying to think what else. Um, I think they had, like, several wins. So I think it's going to be the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. That's the only one I haven't seen. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I've seen the other one. I've seen the, uh, the Flying Sailor, Ice Merchants, My Year of Dicks, and An Ostrich Told Me the World is Fake, and I think I believe it. My favorite from those four is the last one. An Ostrich Told Me the World is Fake, and I think I believe it. But My Year of Dicks was also pretty good. It would be my second choice. The Ostrich one is, is pretty good. It's a good mixture of stop motion and uh, real life with an existentialist twist to the story. I really appreciate that. I thought it was very clever. I really did like it, and I did find it pretty funny. Yeah. And I liked how they were able to um, just show what they were trying to do the whole time. Okay, so how about best live-action short film? I've seen one, but which one do you think is going to work with the Oscar? I'm kind of thinking it's going to be Le Pupel. Yeah, that's the one from Alfonso Cuaron. I was looking forward to that one, but I couldn't get to it. The one I saw was Night Ride from Eric Baiten and Gaut Larsen. And I thought it was good, but it's the only one that I've seen, so I don't have the frame of reference for the others. And let's keep with those in that line. How about best documentary short subject? Uh, this is the one where you want to... I, I think it's often they end up going with a personal documentary as opposed to like a nature one. And I think this year it's going to be Stranger at the Gate that wins it. 
Okay. I do think uh, the Netflix ones have a shot as well. Which the uh, uh, the Elephant oh, no. Whispers and the uh, Martha Mitchell effect. Okay. Oh, yeah. Both are from Netflix. Yeah. Okay. And best documentary feature? Although I'm kind of hesitant on saying it because I did find out some information about the subject. But um, I'm going to put that aside. And I think based on how well it was doing in the past uh, few weeks, I think it's going to be Navalny. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people talking about it, and I've seen it mentioned in several articles and a lot of people watching it and enjoying it as much as you can say they enjoyed it. But yeah. And uh, at the very least, it's also timely, I guess, with the current thing with Ukraine and Russia. Yeah, yeah I agree. Like you said, if there's like a political hand behind things to some extent, and if they want to put the spotlight on this situation, then it's definitely the front runner. Let's talk about Best International Feature Film. Best International Feature Film? I think it will be all quite in the Western Front that wins that as well. Yeah. Usually when a film is nominated both for Best Picture and for Best International Feature Film, it's because uh, it's going to win Best International Feature at least. Uh, definitely. And the fact that it's just got its uh, fortune spread out among so many, so many nominations... Yeah, it was the second one with most nominations. Yeah, I I think there's definitely some support for it. Yeah, definitely. It got nine nominations tied with Everything Everywhere All at Once and just below Banshees of Inisherin. So, yeah. And Best Animated Feature. This is one of those that I have managed to catch, and that would be Guillermo de Toro's Pinocchio. Yeah, my kids are ahead in this one. They've seen three of them. (laughs) I've barely seen half of one. I'm going to share some of thoughts from some of my friends on that category. My friend Jason from the Force 5 podcast, he said, Sea Beast won't win Best Animated Feature, but it should. And my friend Pete, again, from Middle Class Film Class, he said, Sea Beast was tight, but Puss in Boots did more for me. That's my pick for Animated Feature. I, I think in other years, Puss in Boots, it looked like it. it's the sort of film that could end up winning Best Animated Feature. Because yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about it. Yeah, same here. I've definitely heard a lot of great things about it. As for Seabeast, Seabeast is one of one of my kids loves that film. I mean, he fucking loves it. But I, I haven't seen it. I've seen like half of it with him. But I want to see it properly. But it looks good. It, it looked like a good film. Yeah, it's, it's definitely something I'm going to have to check out as well. Okay, so let's pause for a bit here. What do you want to see different this year in the ceremony? That is a good question here. What do I want to see that's uh, different? I think probably what I'd like to see that's done a little bit differently is uh, maybe not um, trying to rush the uh, rush those people that are doing speeches off the stage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that never feels good. I mean, some people have waited maybe their entire lives for this one moment, and it's like after so long, the orchestra just starts playing them off, and it's like, really? Yeah, yeah. I you you got to do better than that. Yeah, yeah. Especially when it's one of those uh, very emotional speeches and they kind of like start playing on top of that. It it's never, never feels good. Okay, so we have, we have a couple already under our belts. So let's go with, how about best costume design? All right, I'm going to go with Elvis on this one. Okay, Catherine Martin, yeah. How about best makeup and hairstyling? Best makeup and hairstyling. I'm also going to go with Elvis. Okay. So you have the, the twofer for Elvis. 
And best production design? I am going with Babylon. Okay, the, the, the sole award for Babylon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's you take one look at the clips you see, and it's like, yeah, it definitely has. I mean, it's got production design all over the place, sort of yeah. like maybe Mank from a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah, this definitely looks like that kind of fun. I haven't seen it, but it seems that the reviews that it has received haven't been, it's been a bit polarizing. I don't know. I haven't seen it, but it's Damien Chazelle. I've liked all of his films. I mean, I haven't seen First Man, but I'm a huge fan of Whiplash and I'm a huge fan of La La Land. So. I definitely need to get on the Damien Chazelle films because I don't think I've seen any of them, to be honest with you. Uh, I definitely recommend uh, La La Land and Whiplash. Both are great. And I've heard great things about First Man. I haven't seen it, but I've heard uh, a lot of people saying it. it's pretty good. Okay. I'll definitely have to check those out then. So let's head into the big ones. Let's talk about best adapted screenplay. I end up going with Women Talking. Okay, yeah. It kind of looks like the kind of film that will get that award. Sarah Pauly. She's, she's usually well regarded, yeah. And best original screenplay? Original screenplay, I end up going with everything, everywhere all at once. Okay, yeah. In this case, I've seen Banshees and I've seen everything, everywhere all at once. And I prefer Banshees, but I could definitely see everything everywhere all at once being awarded on screenplay. Well, um, the, the plot is very intricate and I definitely see it winning. I mean, if Banshees won, it wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing either. Yeah. And let's see how about Best Supporting Actress. That was one that one of a couple that took me a little while to try to solve. At the end of the day, I'm just going to go with the SAGs and Jamie Lee Curtis winning it for it. Oh, really? I, I really haven't seen the film yesterday. I would say I prefer I, I prefer Stephanie Zhu. I don't know if that's how you say her name, but I enjoyed her performance more. Jamie Cortez was fun, but I don't think her performance was that challenging, maybe. So uh, Stephanie Zhu is definitely the one that I would go. Carrie Condon is very good in Banshees, but out of those three... I would go with Stephanie. Well, I mean, I, I think I could see scenarios where it could be Carrie Condon prevailing or even yeah. Angela Bassett. Yeah, Although no, no. it seems like it's kind of slid off a little bit, but I still think she has a chance. Yeah. And the thing with Jamie and Stephanie is the thing that probably they split the boats, the everything, everywhere, all at once boats, and maybe it would end up going to somebody else. So we'll have to see. Wish can sure. also happen in Best Supporting Actor. But who do you have winning for Best Working Actor? I'm going to go with the person who I think has been leading since the whole thing began, and that would be Ki Hui Kwan for yeah. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Yeah, I think that's another one that you probably can take to the bank also. I could see, knowing the Academy, I could see a point maybe made for Brendan Gleeson, because sometimes the Academy tends to go for the older actor that has had a, a, a long career. But definitely, Ki Kwan has been killing it pretty much every awards. So, yeah, he's definitely the front runner. I think that's where the vote splitting would probably definitely hurt right there for the Banshees. Because if it was just Gleason, I think it'd be a lot, honestly, I think it'd be a lot closer. Yeah, yeah. Both are very good. Brendan Gleason, I mean, all three, from out of all three, I think I would agree that Ki Kwan is uh, the best. His performance is very good. He, being a film about multiverses and all that, the way he plays like 
quote-unquote different characters. How he changes from one way to act to another is very good. But Barry, Barry Keoghan is great in, in Banshees and Brendan Gleeson is great as well. So it's, it's a close one, but I have no problem with Keith Wan winning that one. So let's go with Best Actress. Who do you have? This, this is the challenging one with so many nominees and so polarizing, but which one do you have winning? I, I think it's really a two-person race between uh, Kate Blanchett and uh, Michelle Yao. Yeah. I, at, I the, at the end, I end up going with Yao, but um, I mean, I could see it being Blanchett as well. When I saw Tar, I thought she did give a very good performance in it. Yeah, I think that they will go with Michelle as well, but, but yeah, I agree with you. I think those are the two front runners. I doubt that after the controversy that they're going to give it to Andrea. I don't think Michelle Williams has had a lot of momentum. And Ana de Armas, Blonde has been, the nomination has been too polarizing. So I think that definitely doesn't have a chance. Uh, when I first um, heading into the nominations, I kind of thought Michelle Williams would miss because there was some talk about it being, is it a supporting performance? Is it a leading performance? Yeah. And I yeah. thought she just missed out altogether. Yeah, I will definitely agree that Armas probably the best part of Blonde, but I wasn't eagerly looking forward to seeing the film, and I'm still not. And um, Riceboro, I think the nomination's just going to have to do, because it's one thing to get, get nominated, it's something else to try to win over all the Oscar voters. Yeah. And how about Best Actor? I'm going to go a bit rogue here, and... Um, <laughs> I know a lot of people have been talking. It's either uh, going to be Austin Butler or um, it's going to be Brendan Fraser. But I think it's going to go to Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Ina Sharon. I, I agree. I don't know if I was replying to you today on Twitter. I think it was to you, right? That I said that a couple of months ago, Brendan Fraser was the definite front runner. I mean, he was killing it in every every award and uh, the fact that he this big comeback from an actor that it's beloved by so many and it was like a, a, a story tailored for this but i think that he has lost momentum and everybody's talking about colin farrell nowadays and he's very good he's, he's definitely very good in the film so uh yeah i think that it will go with colin it's it's between two i haven't seen i've heard a lot of good things about austin butler but i haven't heard a lot i don't know it's another film that's been, I've heard good things, bad things. So I don't know, but I'm, I'm with Colin. Yeah, I mean, he's really been kind of killing it of late. He was yeah. in After Yang, which I think definitely got yes. some critical raves. And then yes. he was also in The Batman yeah. as the Penguin. Yeah, he, he, I, I was I was talking about this the other day. Um, I think it was on Twitter, but. He had some issues in the middle of his career where, I don't know, like, uh, I don't know if it was like all the, the, the popularity and because they were trying to sell him as this heartthrob leading man. And I don't know if he wanted to go that way. And then he had some issues like anger issues and, and other stuff. And he kind of like fell off. But he's had a couple of like the last 10 years or so, or maybe a bit more. He's crafted like a, a, a really solid career. He's doing really good. He's choosing great scripts, great films, great people to work with. And he's doing really good. Yeah, he definitely, um, I think maybe it was like trying to fit a round peg in a square hole. But um, with um, him as a leading man, but um, it looked like, I will I, I agree with you, he's definitely found his spot and he's found some good scripts and just kept working at it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's so many films, recent films of him that I've enjoyed. I mean, Widows, he's really good in Widows. 
The Beguiled with Nicole Kidman is really good in that one too. It's again, and, and he's great in Banshees. So yeah, look forward to anything that he does. I look forward to finishing the rest of uh, Banshees yeah. in the next couple of days. Okay, so let's let's hit the two big ones. Let's say, how about Best Director? Who do we have winning? Best Director? I'm going to go with the winner of the DGAs, and that would be the Daniels from Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yeah, it's a director's movie because um, the way that the film weaves in and out of this all these multiverses and how it goes from one way to the other and fight choreographies, the way they are shot and all that, it, it's definitely something that that I can see them winning for. I think the narrative was maybe a few months ago before all this started that it would be sort of a Steven Spielberg show. And uh, it, yeah. I look like the Fablemans just went from one of the leaders to pretty much nothing fairly quickly. And, and I've heard good things about it. Most of the people that I know that have seen it have, have liked it. But I don't know, it, it doesn't seem to have like that spark to get it over the hump. Now, on that line, Triangle of Sadness, since we're talking about Best Director and, and Ruben Ostlund is nominated for Triangle of Sadness and, and the film is nominated for a bunch of awards. But that one seems to be polarizing. A lot of people have said uh, this is bad and others say hey, I liked it, but it's pretty much both ends of the spectrum as far as I've heard. Yeah, it's something I'm going to try to uh, there's like a bunch of films I'm going to have to try to tackle, I guess, over the next few weeks. And one of them is Triangle. Yeah. And how about the last one, the final one? Best picture. What do you have? And I'm going with everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh, so you have it, you have it winning almost all of the big awards. Yeah, I, I kind of think, um, I, I honestly, I think there are two films that might have maybe 10, 15% chance of pulling off an upset. And that would be The Banshees of Ina Sharon and uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah, all three films are the ones that got the most nominations. So definitely, I think it's between all the three. I'm rooting for Banshees. I liked it more than Everything Everywhere All at Once. I think that Banshees has a real shot. But yeah, it's it's between those two, and I could see it. Realistically, I can see it going either way. It depends on whether Oscar wants to play it safe or they want to take a chance. But considering last year, they kind of played it safe with Coda. I know in some ways it... Um, it wasn't playing it safe because I, I don't think there's that, been that many films dealing with the children of deaf deaf Americans. Yeah. But um, it's also kind of a little bit safe and conventional. It's like kind of a family story and everything. Yeah, yeah. It's a small scale film. And I think that it got a lot of momentum in the final weeks or, or month before the Oscars. Most people were putting their money on, on Power of the Dog. So I, I, I'm pretty sure it was a close ballot. But yeah, I had no issues with Coda. I really like Coda. So. Yeah, I mean, I've seen Power of the Dog. I think particularly in the last act, it did pretty good. Yeah, I also like Power of the Dog a, a lot. I like both. Okay, so we have a nice set of predictions. I'm going to take this to my money man. And if I make some money, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it with you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but before heading to our Oscars loot, 
our last part of the show. Let's play a little game. What do you say? Do you want to play a game? Uh, sure, why not? Okay, the game, I've called it the Oscar speech game. In it, I'm going to quote a notable Oscar acceptance speech, and you're going to have to try to guess who was it. Okay, what do you oh, say? Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> let's see <laughs> Let's see how, how well you do. Okay, let's go with the first one. I'm going to start with an easy one. I am not able to express all my gratitude because now he say my body is in tumultu. I think that was Roberto Benini from uh, Life is Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> An easy one. <laughs> okay, uh, you have the first one. Okay. Yeah, the only thing, I mean, I, I could just imagine running up the chairs in order to deliver that speech. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it was crazy, man, man. Okay, so let's go with the second one. Um, I'm going to try to do this one. I, I, I can scream because I'm going to wake up my kids, but let's see. I love you. I love you all. Cameron Crowe, James L. Brooks, James L. Brooks, I love you. Everybody who's involved in this, I love you, I love you, I love you. Hmm, Cameron Crowe and James L. Brooks. Ooh, um, um, I don't know. For some reason, I want to say maybe it's Jack Nicholson, but I'm probably thinking it isn't. Uh, when have you seen Jack Nicholson as energetic as that? No, it's <laughs> Cuba Gooding Jr. From oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Jumping around and woo. <laughs> okay, let's go with the third one. I wanted more than anything to have your respect. The first time I didn't feel it, but this time I feel it. And I can't deny the fact that you like me. Right now, you like me. I think that would be Sally Field. Yes. <laughs> okay. Those are beats from the speeches. But this one, I'm going to read the whole speech. Okay? Okay. So, uh, here it is. Oh, it's my privilege. Thank you. Uh, I think that might have been Joe Pesci. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good fellas. <laughs> <laughs> Short and sweet. Yeah, that's how some people like it. Okay, let's go with this one. We got to celebrate life, man. We're breathing. We're walking. It's incredible. It's incredible. Like, it's incredible. My mom and my dad, they had sex. It's amazing. You know what I'm saying? I'm here. <laughs> oh, that that was good. Um, ooh, I'm going to guess maybe Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> no. Daniel Kaluuya. Oh. From okay. uh, Judas and the Black. Judas and, okay. Okay. I'm sorry, I suck on my British accent, but yeah. Oh, it's okay. I, I don't think I would have gotten it even with a uh, British accent, so. Okay, uh, let's go with this one. This is the first lines of the speech, with what he opened the speech. Okay. He has no genitalia, and he's holding a sword. Hmm. Um, Mel Gibson? <laughs> no, Dustin Hoffman from Kramer vs. Kramer. He, he, oh. looked at, he looked at the statue and said, he has no genitalia and he's holding a sword. Okay, I was thinking of something Braveheart, but um, that should tell you where my mind is. <laughs> okay, let's go with an easy one. Okay. Mom, Dad, there's no way that I can express what I'm feeling right now. My heart is close to bursting, except to say, I'm the king of the world. Woo! Uh, James Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> Titanic. And let's go with, uh, okay, let's go with this one. I want to thank my father. 
up there, the man who, when I said I wanted to be an actor, wonderful, just have a backup profession like welding. <laughs> hmm. Just have a back. Okay. Um, I'm thinking for some reason Harrison Ford. <laughs> Rowan Williams. Oh, Rowan oh, Williams. Uh, okay. Goodwill hunting. Yeah. Goodwill hunting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The last two. Very clearly, very clearly, even in my dreams, this could not be true. But to hell with dreams. I'm done with it because this is true. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, Christopher Nolan. No, that was Barry Jenkins after the whole La La oh, Moonlight uh, yeah. mishap. After they oh, that makes a ton yeah. of sense there. After they handed him the statue, that's what he said. That's what he opened his speech with. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the last one. Because it is a long journey to this moment, I am naturally indebted to countless numbers of people. All right. Um, well, we'll go with um, Catherine Hepburn. No, Cindy Poitier. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. First African American to win an award. Okay, so I think I think you went half and half. I think I, I knew I knew I had a couple of obscure ones or, or tough ones there, and like I said, my accent didn't help. <laughs> and um, I feel like my memory is wasn't exactly helping out too much either. So now you got, you got a couple of good ones. So okay, so it's time for our Oscar salute, our final part of the show. So this is the moment where we will take turns in sharing our top five something and okay. if you've been listening if you've been listening to our previous oscars episodes first year we did top five best picture winners and the second year we did top five best actor or actress performances winning performances so i want to do a different one this year but i still want to know something quickly your top five best picture winners do you have them i sure do okay uh, number five would be all about eve mm, yeah good one number four would be lawrence of arabia mm. uh number three is the godfather yeah. Uh, number two is Gone with the Wind. Oh. I, I know it's a bit controversial because of uh, the whole thing with the slavery and how it's yeah. handled. But I, um, it's one of those films that I think does balances everything out and does a fine job of uh, just blending everything in together. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember liking it a lot. I don't know how it will play if I see it now because I saw it like 20, 25 years ago, but I remember liking it a lot. So, yeah, definitely. And your first uh, one? Uh, number one would be uh, Casablanca. Oh, so good. Yeah, definitely. It definitely is. Yeah, my top five quickly. When I did that Oscars episode uh, two years ago, I started with Unforgiven, and I still think Unforgiven is is great. But maybe I would swap it with Moonlight right now. Um, Moonlight, uh, it's it's a film I really love a lot. Number four, Casablanca. Number three, okay. No Country for All Men. Number two, Silence of the Lambs. And yeah. number number one, I cheated on my number one because I'm the host of the show, so I can. So Godfather one and Godfather two. Ah, uh, that can, makes that makes perfect sense. Yeah, can't separate them. So. <laughs> And your top five best actor or actress winning performances. Do you have them? I sure do. Number five would be Natalie Portman for Black Swan. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah, she just dives headfirst into that performance. And it, it's hard to tell when the acting it begins and the character ends. So yeah. uh, number four, Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. Number three is Peter Finch for Network. Oh, yeah. Definitely one of those performances just grips you and doesn't let go. Yeah. <laughs> Number two is Silence of the Lambs, uh, Anthony Hopkins. And my number one would be Daniel Day-Lewis for There Will Be Blood. Okay, so so we have, we have some overlap, yeah. My first one, 
is Jose Ferrer from Cyrano de Bergerac. Maybe a nostalgic or emotional choice, but he, he's great. He's great in the role, but he's Puerto Rican. He's the first Puerto Rican to win an award, and I'm Puerto Rican, so... But yeah, he's great. He makes that film. He carries that film. Fourth, I have Kate Blanchett from Blue Jasmine. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's a hell of a performance. Number three, Daniel Day-Lewis from There Will Be Blood, so we agree on that one. Number two, Anthony Hopkins, Silence of the Lambs. So we agree on that one too. And number one, Jodie Foster, Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jodie Foster is so good in that film. I mean, I love her performance. So that's great. So this year, like I said, even though I want to do something different for this loot, I wanted to anyway get that from you. But what we're going to do today is our top five best picture nominees that didn't win. So there's a ton to choose from. I don't know how hard it was for you to narrow this list down. I, I know I had a hard time. So uh, let's start with you. What do you got? Okay. Uh, I'm, for number five, I went with Fargo. Oh, yeah. It's it's definitely a film that uh, does a great job of setting you in a unique place in time. In this case, the upper Midwest. It has a nice mix of humor, drama, and horror. Led by a pregnant Frances McDormand as the uh, determined cop trying to solve the case. But I feel like the acting is definitely on point as well. And, of course, it's a Coen Brothers film, so the writing definitely is on point. I definitely agree. It would definitely be on my list. I'm going to preface my list saying the following. I didn't exactly went with my top five. I went with five that I really want to put the spotlight on, that I really love. They are, anyway, films that I love a lot. But if I went with my favorite ones, I mean, everybody knows that Shawshank Redemption is my favorite film, so it would probably be number one. There's Pulp Fiction, there's Citizen Kane, Sunset Boulevard, and a lot of the films that would have made my top five, I've already mentioned in other episodes for different loots. For example, Sunset Boulevard, I mentioned it among my top five noir films. Phantom Thread, I came up with it in another lewd, Maltese Falcon also. So I decided to go with five that maybe are not films that are very popular or are not mentioned that much. And I wanted to like put the spotlight on them. So I'm going to start with 1994. That was the year that <laughs> Forrest Gump beat my favorite film, Shawshank Redemption. Another one of my favorite films, Pulp Fiction. And this film that I don't see mentioned a lot, and it's Quiz Show, directed by Robert Redford. Rarely mentioned, but I thought it was great. It follows the scandal surrounding this quiz show back in the 50s, but focuses on this contestant, Charles Van Doren, who's played by Ray Fiennes. And this is such a finely acted film, and I love the way that Redford handles all the tension on a quiz show, <laughs> of all things. And I think it's great. I really love it. I think, isn't it, isn't it based on a true story as well? Yes, yes. It, it's based on some investigations that were made against this show because they found that one of the contestants or some of the contestants were fixing the wins. Yeah. Ah. Okay, so let's go with your number four. All right. For number four, I went with uh, Brokeback Mountain. It was another case of being in a unique place in time. Yeah. This time in the Wild West. It uh, tackled the true love story between two cowboys stuck in a world that happens to be hostile to their relationship. Of course, they have to try to adapt to uh, the world. They find people they can, quote, love. But it, it feels like it's one of those relationships that they try to do the best they can, but it just never seems like they can fill that hole. Yeah, it's definitely a great film, and it's another one that would probably be on my list or be close to my list. It's definitely a, a great one. And <laughs> this was the year that Crash won, right? Uh, yes, it was. Yeah, that's what most people are <laughs> lashing out against, because Crash is one of the most polarizing winners out there. 
And I'd probably be among those, to be honest with you. <laughs> okay, so let's go with my number four. My number four, I went with Johnny Belinda from 1948. This is directed by Gene Negulesco. It was nominated in 1948, but lost to Lawrence Olivia's Hamlet, which I haven't seen, so I don't know how worthy or, or not that win was. But anyway, Johnny Belinda stars Jane Wyman as a very smart, very intelligent woman who happens to be deaf-mute and a doctor played by Lou Ayers who starts tutoring her. But everything changes when she's raped and ends up pregnant. So this is a film I saw several years ago and it always stuck with me for many reasons. First, it is a film that starts pretty much like a romantic film but then takes this dark shift, very bleak turn of events. And I thought the way it handled that, it was great, especially for the time that it was released. I mean, 1948, you don't really hear or see a lot of films from that time tackling subjects like this. So I really enjoyed that, the way that it presented that. It's very good. Jane Wyman is excellent in the lead role. So that's my number four, Johnny Belinda. Okay. You're definitely doing a good job of highlighting films that I hadn't seen yet. And I'm sure the same this is probably true for a lot of people who uh, listen to your podcast. Yeah, that's what I I really enjoy bringing quote unquote obscure films or lesser known films. So that's what I wanted to bring up. How about your number three? Uh, number three, I went with Boyhood. Oh, yeah. It's a movie that, of course, a lot of people have talked about the technique about it, how it was filmed over a number of years. But what really captured my attention is how it managed to make a boy's coming of age into a first-rate thriller where you're kind of holding your breath, hoping that he makes the right decisions and moves and doesn't mess his life up. It's a film where the quiet moments ring as loud as the more spoken-out moments. Yeah, I agree. I, I love this film. It, it's really, really good. And I love that. I, I love the way that you see from the perspective of the movie, but also from the perspective of the cast involved, how you see this boy growing up and him facing different situations and different issues in his life. I really enjoyed it. It's definitely a great film with some great performance. Ethan Hawke is, is great in it. And the kid, I, I forgot his name right now. Elmer um, Coltrane. Yeah, Coltrane, yeah. And he's really good too. Okay, so for my number three, I'm going with The Insider from 1999. This is directed by Michael Mann. It was nominated in 1999, but lost to American Beauty. This is one that, just like Quiz Show, is based on real-life events. It's based on a 60-minute segment on Jeffrey Wigan, played by Russell Crowe, who was a whistleblower for the tobacco industry, a tobacco company that he used to work for. And the aftermath of his testimonies, Al Pacino plays Lowell Bergman, he's the producer of the show, who tries to protect Wigan from all the threats that he starts to receive. Christopher Plummer is in it. He's the host of 60 Minutes, and he's excellent. So the film has some excellent performances, again, like I said, from Crow, from Pacino, from Plummer. The script is engaging, involving. It gets you caught up in all this mess. And I mean, it's one of those films, drama thrillers, that can hold you on the edge of your seat for two plus hours with little to no action. Because this is not a film about shootouts or a film about explosions and fights and whatnot. But all the tension surrounding the threats against this man is great. It's my favorite Michael Mann film. And I love it. It's uh, definitely one I, that I've heard of. I've just never, for some reason or another, been able to, um, I guess, just, just go for it and just watch it. But yeah, it's no. de definitely one that I'm going to have to probably watch now. Yeah, definitely recommend it. 
So what's your number two? My number two would be um, Pulp Fiction. You brought this up earlier, by the way. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it basically, it just kind of announced that Quentin Tarantino is going to be a force between the various stories and narrative that just keeps going back and forth in time and the uh, excellent casting. For example, I don't think I've, I've seen Bruce Willis better in anything other than maybe Die Hard. And, uh, yeah, of course, you also had Christopher Walken do one memorable segment involving a watch. He hiding in the place that in his ass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a great film, definitely. It's one of my probably top 10, top 20 favorite films. So it definitely would have made my list. It's great. I mean, what else can we say? I, I've made an episode on Pulp Fiction. I did an episode analyzing just one scene, the famous Jules and Brett scene, the exchange between Jules and Brett. And I did an episode just talking about that scene and how well it is directed and staged and written. So yeah, it's definitely a favorite of mine as well. Okay, so for my number two, I'm going with The Heiress from 1949. This is directed by William Wyler. It was nominated in 1949, but it lost to All the King's Men, a film that I saw recently, and it's very good also, but I prefer The Heiress. And The Heiress follows this woman, Catherine, played by Olivia de Havilland, who is a naive, shy, and is usually dismissed by everybody, including his father, because he's awkward and everybody assumes that she will never get married. Until Morris, played by Montgomery Clift, a young and handsome man, starts courting her. But then everybody starts wondering, is it love or is it money? Because her family has money. Her father has money. And she's obviously the heiress. So everybody starts wondering, is he going after her money? So there are a lot of great things about this film. Wyler's direction is excellent. The script is flawless. But the Havilland's performance is one of the best female performances I've seen. This is one that I owe this watch to my friends at The Envelope, please. It's a podcast dedicated to the Oscars. And they were my guests in last year's Oscars episode. And they okay. they couldn't stop dropping praise all over this film. So after that episode, I decided to give it a shot. And definitely the film delivered. I definitely recommend it. And it's great. The Ares, 1949. Okay, so go with your number one. All right. My number one film, lost in the year that uh, The Bridge in the River Kwai won. And that would be 12 Angry Men. Yeah. It's a tense thriller about 12 people debating the verdict of a young man accused of murder. It kind of opens the door to show how a jury can be influenced by their own prejudices and thoughts to not be impartial when it comes to deciding the fate of other people. And, of course, it's well cast. It, it's probably one of the most tense one-room thrillers that you can stumble across to. It's one of those cases. I, I love the film, and it's one of those cases where you wonder, kind of similar to what I was talking about with The Insider, how can you make a film as tense as this just with 12 people talking in a closed room and nothing more? It's incredible, and it has some, like I said, great performances. And, and yeah, I definitely love it, 12 Angry Men. That year was, uh, you, you mentioned Treasure of Sierra Madre, which is another one that could have been on my list also because that's, that's another great one. So yeah, for my number one, I went with L.A. Confidential from 1997. This one's directed by Curtis Hansen. It was nominated in 1997, but lost to that uh, little film about the boat that sank. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and this one, I'm uh, pretty sure you have seen this one, right? 
I've not seen LA Confidential, unfortunately. Oh my God. Well, you should see that one. So LA Confidential follows this trio of cops, Guy Pierce, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe again. Actually, I, I hadn't planned it, but um, Guy Pierce, Russell Crowe, and Kevin Spacey. And they are after uh, a multiple murder happens and they start to investigate and they each take their different approaches to solving the case. Not necessarily working along each other because they each are on their own departments, one's from bias, the other's from homicide. But it's the way that their roads tangle and try to uncover what is more than a multiple murder. And it has to do with a lot of corruption in the department, in the film industry, in countless other government and other places within Los Angeles. It has great performances from pretty much everybody. Ironically, one of the things that I always say about this film is that Kim Basinger was the one that ended up walking with the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. But actually, as far as I'm concerned, she's the weakest performance. Not that she's bad, but she's the weakest performance, at least from the main cast. Pierce, Crow, Spacey, the guy that plays the captain. Uh, oh my God, I forgot his name. The old man from Bave. Uh, James Cromwell? James Cromwell is a police captain. He's excellent. All four are excellent. David Strathairn has a supporting performance also. He's great as well. It's a hell of a cast. The script is so... I don't want to say convoluted because it's not, but it's so intricate and it takes you down roads that you wouldn't expect. And then when it springs those surprises in you, it kind of goes like, oh, I wasn't expecting this. It's definitely great. I definitely recommend it to you if you haven't seen it. If you haven't heard anything about the film, better yet, just try to prioritize it as much as you can and watch it because it's definitely a, 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 an excellent film. Okay, I'll definitely be sure to check that one out. And like I said, those are five that I love, I genuinely love, but that I wanted to put the spotlight because they are not as many. Maybe like Confidential is the one that's more well-known. The other ones you don't really see mentioned that much. But do you have any others, let's say, honorable mentions? Um, I can think of one that didn't even get nominated, but I definitely should have at least got nominated if not one flat out. And that would be Do the Right Thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. 1989 also? 89 yeah, or 90, right? It was, yeah, it was the year that uh, Driving Miss Daisy won. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that one recently. I know we talked a bit about it, I think, when I saw it. Definitely, the, out of the ones that I've seen from that year, definitely the weakest one. Do the Right Thing is a film that I need to rewatch because the last, the, the only time I've seen it was probably in the 90s. Uh, ah. I, I need to revisit it because I know that watching it with a more adult perspective, I'm definitely going to change it because I liked it. But I remember, I, I don't know, I remember the end had some things that kind of bothered me. But probably mm -hmm. that's because I didn't understand the perspective of a lot of the racial backgrounds and perspectives that the film is trying to bring. So it's one that I'm definitely thinking I need to revisit and I definitely need to get into that. As far as I'm concerned, I mentioned, I mean, Citizen Kane is a great film. Maltese Falcon is a, it's an excellent film. I mentioned Sunset I Boulevard. I will definitely concur with you on the Maltese Falcon. Yeah, it's definitely, I actually brought it up in one of my previous loots. I don't remember what was the loot about. I think it was either the noir loot or debut films. I think we talk about it as well because it's the debut film from John Houston. Sunset Boulevard, I mentioned it. Chinatown is a great one. There Will Be Blood. That was the year that No Country for All Men won, but No Country for All Men is a 
excellent as well. It definitely definitely was a tough choice that year between those two. Yeah, yeah. 2007, that year was really stacked. There was Zodiac as well, and David Fincher. It's another film that I really love. A Few Good Men is another one that lost. And A Few Good Men is an interesting film. I, I thought about including it, not because it's not popular, because obviously it's a very popular film. But I think A Few Good Men, it, it's an interesting choice because it's one of those films that I think does an almost perfect job of balancing what is a star-driven film with a great script and a great story, an all-around well-crafted mainstream Hollywood film, if you catch my drift. It definitely takes a bunch of different elements and puts it together yeah. in a very good way. Yeah. Sense and Sensibilities, a film I love. Whiplash, I mentioned it to you. you. You definitely should check it out. Hell or High Water, it's excellent. I'm a huge fan of Phantom Thread. It's probably one of my favorite films of the last decade. Raiders of the Lost Ark was nominated. That's definitely the best adventure film out there. So there are definitely a, a ton of great worthy films that have been nominated but haven't won. I definitely agree. There is a lot of films that could have and should have been nominated, didn't win, that definitely hold up pretty good now. Yeah. Okay, so as usual, I always go ask on Twitter for people to share their favorite Best Picture nominees. I also ask for Best Oscar Thoughts knobs, which I already shared, but I also ask them to share their favorite Best Picture nominees that didn't win. And I got a few responses. My friend Sylvie at Sly underscore Wit, she said, I have a lot of favorite Best Picture nominees that didn't win. The Thin Man, Citizen Kane, Maltese Falcon, The Red Shoes, Shane, Joss. But I can't really complain given what they were up against. However, the fact that both Pulp Fiction and Shawshank lost to Forrest Gump is a travesty. And uh, <laughs> I was talking with Aaron. I, I, added, I, can't, I can't disagree with that. I added Quiz Show to her comment. And I said Quiz Show too. Because the other one was Four Weddings and a Funeral. And I haven't seen that one. But to me, Forrest Gump is the weakest of, of those easily. And Sylvie also mentioned about her Oscar wishes or, or what she thinks is going to happen. She said, sadly, I think at this point, how is it? Everything, everywhere, all at once, sweep is very likely. I'm happy for the actors and I'm totally down with Ki Kwan winning for his performance. But in the rest of its categories, I'll just say that I will be thrilled by any win for Banshees in its place. Hashtag sorry, not sorry. Well, I mean, it's a popular film. I can't see why it couldn't at least end up winning one or two awards before night's over with yeah and actually here i'm just checking my twitter and i'm getting a couple okay so here we have my friend tyler at a film addicted he just replied on twitter to our tweet where we were talking about banshees what is she going to win where i replied to you and he says, I think Butler is getting actor, which you mentioned, with everything everywhere all at once dominating most areas. I could see Banshee's nagging original screenplay. So he more or less seems to agree with what you predicted. So that was it. Brian, it, it's been a lot of fun to talk with you. I'm really happy to finally have the chance to, to chat with you about movies, which is uh, obviously something that we love. And what are your plans for the for the YouTube channel, for the Twitch? What are you planning to do on the next uh, on, in the future? Uh, for me, the plan is to do more individual reviews on my YouTube channel and start ramping up production so that maybe I can have more content when the Oscars are not happening. I want to start doing some features as well. And as for Twitch, I'll probably stick with doing it once or twice a week. I mean, I kind of like doing it, but um, I, I think I want to focus a bit more on my YouTube endeavor. And um, just uh, trying to get my name out there as a film reviewer and all that good stuff. And, and where can people find uh, your channel? Where can people find you on the internet, on Twitter? 
Okay, on Twitch you can find me at Tickets Please, and uh, that that's the name of the that's the name of the account there. Um, on YouTube, uh, the film review channel is Tickets Please Reviews 1079. Uh, on the gaming channel would be Tickets Please Gaming, and on Twitter I'm known as Tickets Please Six over with the gaming channel, and the film review one is um, at Brian Clarkson Five. So I definitely recommend everybody to follow Brian, to check out his YouTube channel, his Twitch, and everything else. A lot of uh, great content for you to check out. So definitely uh, pay attention to that. See what he has to share when the Oscars wrap up. Are you going to do like a, like a wrap up after the ceremony? I am definitely going to be doing like a post-Oscars thing where I just check out how well I've done with the predictions and everything. So we're definitely going to be looking forward to that. Brian, it's been a lot of fun to chat with you finally. And I hope that your favorites win, or at least the ones that you put money in. Uh, I, hope that your, <laughs> I, I hope that your channel keeps growing, and I definitely wish you the best in the future. Uh, thank you very much. I definitely like being here today. Same here, man. Take care and, and look forward to having you again. Look forward to stopping by again. Definitely. Take care. All right. You too. So that was it for our Oscar salute. Once again, we want to thank Brian for his time and insight and you for listening for the last four hours. I was your host, Carlo, from the Movie Loot. With nothing else, we say goodbye to you all. That's it. No big speech, no fanfare, jokes, or slaps. Just a soothing sense of satisfaction that we've awarded the best of cinema, which we won't regret after. No, we won't. (laughs) 